Welcome to the Energy Update presented by the Institute for Energy Research for the week of June 1st, 2020. I'm Alex Stevens, and I'm joined by IER's Deputy Director of Public Policy, Jordan McGillis. Jordan, what do we have going on, on the website at IER this week? Hi, Alex. We've got three new pieces of content that are worth discussing here. The first is a blog titled, Biden Will Revoke Keystone XL Pipeline Permit. You heard that correctly. If elected, Joe Biden has committed to rescinding President Trump's permit allowing the Keystone XL pipeline to cross from Canada into the United States. This pipeline, of course, has been the subject of ongoing long-term legal battles. Uh, and though those do continue, the expectation that TransCanada, which is now called TC Energy, has is that in 2023, the pipeline will be operational. And what their estimates indicate is that um, this pipeline would enable about 10,000 Americans to find employment in the building and indirectly support about 42,000 jobs through uh, the supplying of goods and services to the project and the project's workforce. Um, pipelines are something we talk about a lot at IER. And the flip side of declining a permit to a pipeline is that oil is going to get transported in some other way. And the, the other way that oil tends to be transported across North America, if not by pipeline, is by train. And we've seen an increase by a factor of 50 since 2008 in the transport of oil by rail. And of course, you know that that is just not as, um, as tried and true, not as safe of a practice as pipeline transport. So we would love to see this pipeline come into operation. And the Democratic presidential candidate, Joe Biden, wants to see just the opposite. He'd like to bar that plan from going through. So we will keep a weather eye on this situation as uh, as the election draws near. And um, we hope that that pipeline indeed becomes operational in 2023. Second piece is titled, DOE Lab Finds Wind Output Plunges When Tax Credits End. And this is a finding by the Lawrence Berkeley Laboratory. What they've discovered is that after the first 10 years of operation, wind turbines tend to experience an abrupt decline in performance as time goes on. And of course, that's uh, the period after which the production tax credit is intended to expire. So there's there's an interesting incentive there for the durability of, of these projects. And it appears to be the case that once projects are no longer able to uh, garner that tax credit of a, of a couple of cents per kilowatt hour, we're seeing significant declines in their, in their productivity. So just another indicator of uh, how these perverse incentives are influencing our electricity markets. And um, as we consistently make the case here at IER, the production tax credit is a serious distortion in our electricity markets. The wind, wind electricity generation industry is no longer an infant industry. It's been around for a good 20, 30 years in its, essentially its current form. Uh, we need to allow those tax credits to expire and for the program to, to come to an end. And then lastly, we have a piece on June 2nd from policy associate Paige Lambermont on how utilities um, expense investments into cloud services. Uh, as it currently stands, most states have two different ways of treating investments in utilities' own servers for storing data versus if they want to use outside services, uh, namely the cloud. And as it currently exists in most states, um, while utilities are able to consider investments in their own servers to be 
um, of a certain sort of expenditure, they're not able to treat expenditures toward cloud services in the same way. And so it's incentivizing um, these utilities to utilize their own servers, despite the fact that that's not their area of expertise and security and um, the, the cutting edge of technology on, on server uh, on server services is in the cloud. So what Ms. Lambermont proposes here is that we bring unification between the way that regulatory bodies treat these two different sorts of expenditures. And it seems that it could go either direction. It could be that we treat them all as investments or we treat them all as cost of doing business, but it does seem that they should be treated in the same way so that there's not a perverse incentive for the utilities to continue building their own servers and servicing them when they can probably get better and safer cloud services elsewhere. Thank you, Jordan. Those articles and more work from IER staff can be found at our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. And the final thing I want to highlight for our listeners this week is this week's episode of the Plugged In Podcast, where I sat down with IER's new senior economist, David Kreutzer, to discuss the new documentary produced by Michael Moore, Planet of the Humans. Here's a short clip from that episode. This new documentary, Planet of the Humans, it covers a lot of issues that you focus on in your career. So I thought just sort of getting our reactions to the film might be a good way to introduce you to IER's audience and uh, just talk about a lot of the issues that we cover at IER. Yeah, no, no. The you know the, this um, documentary was really amazing coming from the the people that it came from. Uh, you know, Michael Moore's famous radical documentarian uh, was the producer. And the, uh, the director and co-producer was an ardent environmentalist. And, you know, what they come up with is that green energy is not that green, not that reliable. You know, uh, maybe it's not the uh, panacea that the green energy people make it out to be. You know, my, my, my feelings about the film were sort of mixed, but I think one of the main things it gets right is just the fact that the political discussion around green energy has always sort of been... Um, it's been unbalanced, but then also it just has always overlooked the trade-offs and some of the things that are so associated with renewable energy that, you know, often go overlooked. So the, the film, they cover sort of the intermittency issue, land use issues, went into sort of some of the issues with companies that claim uh, to be using 100% renewable energy, how that right. isn't really <laughs> up to, uh, isn't exactly what's going on there. It's not, it's not legit. Right. It's not legit. So, People... You know, all these, uh, you know, they, they talked about Apple, Tesla, and then they showed that, uh, you know, these businesses and the factories were still connected to the grid because, you know, the problem with solar is nighttime. And, you know, when, when, when the sun goes down, clouds come out, you know, you, you, you don't get any energy from them. And I, I want to say I'm also, I had very mixed feelings about, uh, about the planet of the humans, in particular, their, their prescription for the solution to uh, a problem that I think they've wildly exaggerated is depopulation. And that's, you know, it's just old Malthusian, uh, you know, claptrap stuff. And so I, yeah, I don't, I think ultimately, I really don't like their solution any, uh, any better than the green people. But they did it, they did a good job, not only showing the problems of green energy, but I think where they really ruffled feathers was showing the money in the green energy business. And, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of it, there's a lot of money, on, you know, even just for the, uh, the nonprofits. But there's plenty of profit in there as well. The Plugged In Podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, or at IER's website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Alex Stevens.